from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, that's good. It's good. What are you asking me? Or them? Well, you, I guess, because they can't answer. Ah, well, I am doing pretty well. That's good. Today. Well. Yeah, yesterday was rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yesterday, first hangover I've had since 2018, maybe 2017, possibly. Is that true? I mean, yeah. I mean, I almost never drink enough for a hangover. That's true. I'm not. I'm not a big drinker, generally speaking. Um, certainly not to that extent. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to take care of myself. I'm over 30. Yeah. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, then we went to our friend Stephanie's birthday party mm-hmm. um, at a bar uh, owned by a couple of our friends, a brother-sister team. Yeah. If you're in Atlanta, it's in Kirkwood. It's called Bob and Harriet's Home Bar. And it's, it's awesome. awesome. They're the best ever. And yeah, they t- proved it by giving us too many free shots. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you can call that a shot, Ted, I'm talking to you, who comes in like, oh, yeah, everybody gets a shot of tequila. And then he slams down like a 16-ounce thermos <laughs> full of Altos. 
true. And I'm just like, sure, a shot's a shot. Jug, 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 jug. Well, and it was a blast. <laughs> and we had a really good time. But yeah, but the next day was definitely a was hard day. Yeah, I'd forgotten about grown, all that. Two grown people yes. who don't drink much. <laughs> uh, well, very excited to have you all this week. Uh, it's uh, it's Thanksgiving. It's yeah. American Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I hope everybody's getting to spend some time with people they are thankful to be associated with, whoever that may be. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully everybody has a, an awesome holiday weekend planned, whatever yeah. your traditions are. Right, right. Um, but yeah, we wanted to spend, I guess, our first Thanksgiving episodes, uh-huh. um, not on the first Thanksgiving, no. <laughs> but rather <laughs> tackling that famous American love story, John Smith and Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to the American public school system and or Disney, John Smith <laughs> was an handsome, intrepid explorer mm-hmm. who arrived on the shores of Virginia hoping to find riches and a home in the New World. Pocahontas was a young, beautiful native princess who became fascinated with the white foreigners. When her chieftain father, Powhatan, captured John Smith and ordered him executed, Pocahontas flung herself on his body saying, Daddy, I love him. And because she was Powhatan's favorite, he acquiesced, and then everything was fine until the trail of tears, I guess. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. Public education. (laughs) From the Texas Instruments textbooks. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out that, uh, you know, that story is not so much true. Hmm. Pocahontas was actually just a child of 10 or 11 when John Smith met her, and they never even had a romance. Powhatan didn't try to kill John Smith, and if he had, Pocahontas wouldn't have been there. During her life and in death, Pocahontas became more of a piece of propaganda than an actual woman with agency. Mm-hmm. So, we figured we'd get together here, and across two episodes, we're going to talk about the complicated and true story of Pocahontas. So, buckle your seatbelts, slash pilgrim hats, and get ready (laughs) for a wild ride through colonial America. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So, y'all, we, we tapped quite a few sources to try and put this whole story together. But for the indigenous side of the story, we pulled from a book called The True Story of Pocahontas, The Other Side of History by Dr. Linwood Little Bear Costello and Angela L. Daniel Silverstar. Now, this is based on the sacred Mataponi oral history passed down from Pocahontas' relatives through the generations. And we want to call out this source specifically because it really seems to be the only source for an indigenous side of this story, but it is also disputed. Many scholars who study Native American history refuse to comment on it, but you know, it feels wrong to dismiss it completely because there is a lot of information that even fills in some of the gaps here. Yeah. So as we go through the episode, we're going to point out where these stories really diverge and how differently the events were seen or recorded, depending on which side you're standing on or mm-hmm. whose perspective you're looking at. Yeah. So we may not know by the end of these episodes the full exact truth of exactly what went down with Pocahontas, but challenge there i think by the end of these two episodes we diana and i (laughs) will definitively decide (laughs) 
the true story of Pocahontas. <laughs> yes. Okay. We're gonna, you heard it here first. Yeah, we're going to decide which facts are true and which facts are not true. We spent a whole day and a half researching these, and we, we yeah. were pretty confident <laughs> that we have the answers. We figured it out. But it is kind of interesting to just see it that way, just as how differently people write things yeah. down or how differently they see an event or how differently they want to frame it for yeah. later generations. I mean, you know, all that is also historically valuable. So. We have learned and talked about many times on this show that the shaping of history is a cultural tool yeah. that oh, people yeah. use in their favor very mm-hmm. often, whether you're disgracing a single person that you just didn't like. Yep. Or a leader that was terrible that you just like make up some horrible stories about or you were, for a random example, a colonizing country Mm -hmm. that came in and took a bunch of land from other people. You might present that story a little differently differently. than it really happened. (laughs) So, yeah, just something to keep in mind as we chat. But let's begin. So Powhatan was the paramount chief of Senecomico, which is now called Virginia. And this was an alliance of Algonquin-speaking tribes. When Powhatan came into power, he inherited control over the core six tribes, which were the Powhatan tribe, the Yotanans, the Mataponis, the Pamunkeys, the Arahateks, and the Apatamuks. And through a combination of force and diplomacy, by 1607, Senecomico had grown to about 28 to maybe 32 lesser chiefdoms and tribes, all of whom paid tribute to Powhatan. So he, you know throughout his lifetime was very good at right. creating a nation around yeah. him yeah. of what used to not be one, you know. And each tribe had its own chief or once, who was on Powhatan's council and advised him. And Powhatan would also marry women from each of the tribes. Classic. We, I, yeah, we've yeah. seen before. Easy way to make someone your friend yeah. is to make them in your family, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Leaders love marrying women from far-off tribes yeah. to be like, now see... Now, I married your daughter. Mm -hmm. That means our people and your people are basically married. And by the way, you have to do everything I say. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) We're good now. And you can just hope that I like her enough to take care of you or her. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's a little bit like kind of some of the harems we've covered maybe in the past. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, But the difference being that with Powhatan, uh, he would marry the woman from the tribe. They would come live with him in his capital city until she had a child. And then the child and mother would go back to the mother's tribe until the kid was weaned. And then the kid would return to Powhatan's capital to live in his household. Oh, okay. And that is when it basically meant the wife was free to remarry. So she didn't have to stay as like part of a harem her whole life right. and all this stuff. Like she was, he's like basically like, we have connections now. We're good. You can go back home and do live your life as you see fit. Yeah, it was just basically incubating a child in you. Yes, <laughs> like, essentially. All right. All right. <laughs> Just a little incubator. But you know what? Although I'll say uh, of all the history where people do that, where it's like I'm marrying you mm-hmm. to just for the sole purpose of creating a child that unites our tribes, at least he did like, you know, say, all right, go go live your life. Yeah. I'm not going to lock you up in a tower. Yeah. It sounds better. Like, at least he's like, I know you don't love me and I don't love you, but yeah. we don't have to be miserable our whole lives. Right. Like, go out, go, please fall in love. Just... I want you to have more children <laughs> for your tribe or whatever. Yeah. Being honest, mm-hmm. you know, that like, look, we both know what we're doing here. Exactly. Right. But we'll have a link with, with, yeah. with this kid and right. I, it'll be great. I can get down with that. I should say I can get down with that if they were willing. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I would hope so. Yeah. And we don't know. I'm not going to speculate no. as, as to 
you know, what the nature of these marriages was. But yeah. just in general, mm-hmm. it sounds fair. It sounds fine as long as all participants <laughs> were down. We're down. Yeah. So, yeah, according to the other side of history, his wife of choice, his first and favorite wife, the wife that he stayed married to for a long time, her name was Pocahontas. Mm. And they had several children together. But she died while giving birth to Powhatan's daughter in 1596. They named the baby Matawaka, but Powhatan called her Pocahontas, which translates to playful one. And he called her that after her mother. And she quickly became his favorite child because she reminded him so much of his departed wife that Mm. he loved so much. They were very similar in looks and in personality. So he was like, this is is my kid right here. So she was sent to the Mataponis to be weaned by her mother's relatives. But once she was old enough to walk and eat solid food, as was tradition, she went back to where Wacomico, Powhatan's capital, to join her father. Everyone worked in the tribe, even Powhatan. Pocahontas would have learned the women's work, which was definitely separate from the men's work, but it was not looked down on. Mm -hmm. You know, all this work was essential for everyone in society. Women built the houses. They did all the planting and the harvesting. They did the cooking. They collected water for cooking and drinking. They collected firewood and maintained the fires. They wove mats. They made baskets. They made pots, utensils, and platters. They were also the barbers for the men, and they would process the meat that the men brought home and tan the hides and make clothing. Pocahontas also would have learned how to identify and gather edible plants in all seasons. I mean... What a workload. Yeah. Girls Jeez. get it done. You know, that was, that was their slogan. <laughs> That's what it was. They all stood around with their arms akimbo yep. for a nice photo shot. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of like that they were like, we. yeah, there's women's work and there's men's work, but no work was better than other yeah. work. It was just like, obviously, this work is not less than. I'd like to eat cooked right? food and like live in a nice house with uh-huh. a good mat on the floor and whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> how weird to look down on a gender's work, you know? Right. So well, anyway, keep I it in go, mind. I go to an office and jibber-jabber with other men all day, but you just cook food that I can eat when I get home for sustenance. (laughs) You just make the house nice or whatever. (laughs) Which is, of course, in this household, very much not the case. Diana works probably more hours than I do, and I cook food for our sustenance, and neither of us keeps the house clean. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Very much a gender equality going on around here. We both live in squalor. By 1607, when Pocahontas was 10 or 11, plenty of tribes had already been dealing with Europeans. Mm. Okay, Spain had established itself pretty comfortably in Florida and the Southwest, and they were growing tobacco. France had established trade posts through Maine, Massachusetts, and upstate New York. But England only had its vague claim on Virginia. And... Its fishing and trading interests there culminated in, like, semi-permanent encampments in the Chesapeake region. Right. So it wasn't anything spectacular going on there. Yeah. In 1585, they tried to establish a more permanent solution with the colony of Roanoke. Uh-oh. But that ill-fated colony did not fare well. Eventually, every colonist disappeared, leaving a mysterious encryption on a nearby tree. Croatoan. <laughs> And that's the name of the nearby island where the Croatoan tribe lived. So there are tons of theories about what happened to the Roanoke colonists. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, maybe the Croatoans killed everyone. Right. Or maybe the colonists moved to the island and integrated into the tribe. Right. Or, or maybe the colonists all died from starvation or disease. That's pretty uh, normal thing to happen to colonists. Right. 
Uh, it's, it's possible that the colonists tried to leave on a ship and they got swept away in a storm, never to be heard from again. Hmm. A lot of theories. A lot of theories, but no. I heard, I heard that it's possible that a Time Lord showed up in a phone booth and uh, warned them all of some impending doom. Wow. Took the two most uh, camera-friendly and energetic <laughs> people with him and went on an adventure across space and time. Where's the episode of Doctor Who where Virginia Dare is his ca- companion and she's like <laughs> one years old <laughs> and he's like, I mean, here I we go, toddler. <laughs> I haven't seen every episode. That might exist. It might exist. Somebody let us know <laughs> if Tom <laughs> Baker ever grabbed up Virginia Dare. <laughs> But yeah, unfortunately, no one knows definitively exactly what happened Mm -hmm. to these colonists. Um, In 2020, some archaeologists found a map and unearthed some artifacts and ceramics at a spot 50 miles west of Roanoke that they believe was a second fort. So they're kind of like, we think we may have solved this mystery. The colonists just moved to this (laughs) other spot and lived there for a while. (laughs) So they're like, wow, this whole colony disappeared. And then one day someone turned around and was like, oh, wait, no, it's over there. Like We didn't try to go like a few feet up river and yeah. see if anything, whatever. <laughs> but but yeah, we, we don't know for sure that, you know, they haven't, they They're haven't still fully, working on this. you yeah. know, scientifically yes. peer reviewed that or whatever. This is brand new. This is hot, uh, yeah. hot new research. Hot archaeological breaking, breaking news, news. from right here from Ridiculous Romance. That's right. You heard it here first, unless you heard it before, in which case you're hearing it heard here like third or fourth probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we're not sure. We'll see how that solve pans out. Um, but essentially, the mystery of the missing colonists just meant that by 1606, not a single English settler occupied the New World. Wow. Well, that sounds like curtains for England. Curtains for England. No, uh, no English-speaking mm-hmm. people nope. in the this new colony be at all. Fully Spanish and French colony. Huh. Well, we'll have to see how that pans out. Yeah. Um, England's confidence was boosted after they defeated the Spanish Armada in 1604. And King James was able to negotiate sort of an uneasy peace with Spain. And then merchants began to form joint partnerships to fund voyages, and they established the Virginia Company. The time was ripe to try again. So they rounded up everything they needed. They got three ships with 105 colonists, and in 1606, England shipped them off to the New World. Or round two. (laughs) And one of the guys on board was a fellow named John Smith. This guy was 27 years old. He was a commoner, and he was an adventurer who'd already been on three continents. He's he's given us real strong brawn from Game of Thrones vibes. Yeah, right? real This kind of real tough guy mercenary, quick mm-hmm. thinker, mm-hmm. loyal to no one, mm-hmm. you know, just doing doing the job yeah. and doing it well. And, and really looking out for himself first and foremost. Yeah, John was a braggart. He was bombastic. He often exaggerated his accomplishments or outright lied about them. He had set sail at 16 when his father died, and he became a pirate and a mercenary soldier and an artillery expert. In Hungary, he fought three consecutive duels with three Ottoman challengers, and he decapitated each of them. Ouch! This caused the Hungarians to name him Prince of Transylvania and give him a coat of arms adorned with three Turks' heads. I just think of that scene in Game of Thrones when Bronn fights the guy oh, yeah, and, yeah. and wins. The trial of and combat. they're like, you didn't fight with honor. And he's like, well, that guy did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I'm alive. <laughs> That's why I think John Smith probably said something. Yeah. Like, something, something witty <laughs> like that, you know. 
Soon after, in 1602, he was wounded and captured by Crimean Tartars and sold into slavery in Constantinople. But he claimed this fair mistress fell in love with him, and he had a great time with her until she sent him to serve her brother in Tartary, who made John into a degraded field hand. He was being abused in the field one day when he was just like, you know what? Fuck this. And he beat his master's brains out with a threshing bat. He stole his clothes and his horse and got out of there. Do, speculation station. Uh-huh. Do you imagine that John Smith was like beating up the field, like the overseer or whatever? And all every he couldn't have been alone. Like, do you think all the other slaves were like, well, do we... Do we Can join? We go Should we join too? too? Like, did they also leave with him? I mean, I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> then he wandered through Muscovy, the Baltic, and through the Holy Roman Empire before ending up on a pirate ship off the Barbary coast. And when he got back to England in 1606, he got involved in the Virginia Company's plan to establish the Jamestown colony. This was not an easy journey that the colonists took from England to Virginia. Right. Of course, they immediately hit foul weather, which delayed their fleet. They had to stop in the West Indies to resupply themselves with water and provisions. And around then is when John was accused of plotting a mutiny and put under arrest. Oh. And Captain Christopher Newport, who was in charge of all three of the ships, planned to execute John as soon as they got to the New World. <laughs> He's like, I mean, literally, we're going we're gonna to pull you off this ship and you're, you're dead, buddy. You're dead. That's nice of them to wait. I don't really understand. I do like... wonder why they decided. Why didn't they just throw him overboard or <laughs> right, something? Right, or something. He's but just I, like, I think... you know, Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah. You know, uh, Good yeah. night, John. Sleep well. I'll most likely kill you as soon as we get to land. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it was just like... They were feeling so much like they had to legitimately set up government, yeah, system sure, of sure. punishments and, and all that, that they right. were like, well, we have to start as we mean to go on. And right. We're not I pirates here. Yeah. Once we get to the shore, I'll see. You know what I mean? Like, we are civilized folk and I'll kill you on dry land. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a trial or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, sure. Trial. Let me gather up 12 of your peers. <laughs> yeah. I'll just ask Who them a few questions you? first. Yeah. <laughs> So they landed at Cape Henry in late April 1607, and Captain Newport, I mean, was probably having the gallows constructed. Right. When he unsealed the orders from the Virginia Company about who would be in charge of the colonists on land, seven men were named. Okay. Six of them prominent, well-connected figures in their late 40s, early 50s. Makes sense. Captain Christopher Newport was one of them. Sure, sure. But the seventh was John Smith. What? And John Smith probably held out his wrist like, so y'all want to take these off now? Because turns out I'm in charge. (laughs) Damn. Now, speculation station, I have to ask you. Okay. How do you think John Smith got his name on this list, this short list of leaders? Well, it would have been sent separately, right? I think it was sent with the captain. He just didn't open it until they got there. Do not open until New World was written on the (laughs) envelope. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I, I mean, I, I considered possibly mm-hmm. that when they're writing these lists, they're like, all right, well, definitely these six guys. And then I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Who could it be? And they they always say, just write John Smith. There's probably <laughs> one there. And they'll just use him. I was like, maybe, like, does he have something on the merchants that started the Virginia Company? Like, he oh, showed yeah, up, yeah. like, remember this nudie painting that you posed for? <laughs> well, I have it now or oh, something. My. <laughs> Scandal. Scandalous. Wow. 
So they picked a spot to build on, which seemed like the perfect place. It was about 35 miles upriver in this peninsula, and it had deep enough water that they could moor their ships to the trees. And it was covered in abundant wildflowers and strawberries, and it was just a beautiful paradise. Best of all, it was uninhabited by the native Indians. So maybe that should have been a clue that they picked a shit place to build because the tribes knew better than to settle on this swampy land. They still hunted there, though, and they saw it as their territory. So as soon as the English arrived, they were attacked and two of their men were killed. One of them while he was taking a shit, which is just not fair. That is cold-blooded. You could wait. (laughs) Wait three minutes for the guy to finish reading the Sunday Times. (laughs) Folding it up. Ah, oh, well. Oh, a hilarious Garfield today. <laughs> I hate Mondays. <laughs> but honestly, even though they got attacked, the English were doing a pretty good job of killing themselves. Because this peninsula they had chosen, which the Indians specifically didn't go to, didn't have any springs or brooks. So they drank water from this river that was always brackish and sometimes literally poisonous. One colonist wrote that at low tide, the water was, quote, full of a slime and filth. Gross. (laughs) Let's drink it. (laughs) I mean, what other options do we have? Uh, So the boil advisory in effect for the peninsula (laughs) for the next thousand years. (laughs) So they were getting dysentery and typhoid fever and salt poisoning from drinking this water. Colonist George Percy wrote, quote, Our men were destroyed with cruel diseases as swellings, fluxes, burning fevers. In the morning, their bodies trailed out of the cabins like dogs to be buried. Um, what? Dogs trail out of their cabins cabins. to be buried? Come on. I know, like, weird. What are you talking about, George? You got a weird life, George. (laughs) The things people were okay with doing to dogs back then, they're always like, execute him like a dog. And I'm like, what are you doing to dogs? So cradle him softly while I weep? (laughs) But these colonists, I mean, they were also suffering from heat stroke and something called calenture, which was this tropical delirium that made men jump into the sea thinking that it was this beautiful grassy meadow. Wild. It sounds like that zombie fungus that gets in your brain. Ooh, true. Oh, my God. It's just so weird to me to be on a ship and be so far gone with some delirium that, like, you're just like, I guess we're just on land now. For Uh some reason, the ship is in the middle of this wonderful prairie. Right. I'm so desperate for land, solid land, I guess, that, like, I'll jump out of the ship. And, I mean, I know people who would pay good money for that trip. (laughs) Yeah, very true. (laughs) In Tony Horwitz's book, A Voyage Long and Strange, um, this is a very good book, by the way. I totally recommend it. It's um, a book specifically about early America, and he talks about the Vikings from, like, the hundreds of years into the early colonists of 1600. And it's really fascinating to kind of see how the conquistadors entered the country and how the Mm. Vikings entered the country and all the different tribes and their experiences and everything. So anyway, just saying, great book, read it. Yeah. And in his book, he says, quote, Virginia's assault on newcomers' health, not just that first summer, but for years to come, was so remorseless that the English referred to a process of seasoning. Colonists landed, fell ill, and either died or became seasoned to their environment. But you know what they say about the English. 
they ain't great with seasoning. (laughs) (laughs) Tony writes, quote, of the more than 20,000 English sent to Virginia during the colony's first decades, roughly three quarters perished. This death rate, notes the historian Edmund Morgan, was comparable only to that found in Europe during the peak years of the plague. Wow. So if you were coming here, well, I guess they either didn't tell you that (laughs) or you were very wealthy and thought that you are important so you won't die or you came unwillingly. Yeah, or your shit is so desperate back home, yeah. you'll take your chances. Yeah, like uh, that. I mean, that good. says a lot right. because, yeah, if anyone knew anything real about what was going on with some mm-hmm. of these folks, I can't imagine that they were like, "Yeah, let me get a let me get a ticket to the new world." Which definitely, in hindsight, like if I'm a ruler of a country and I look around and I say, "Wow, things are terrible here. Look at all these people starving and dying because of our leadership mm-hmm. and the way we manage things." Uh, let's go do it more places. Uh, yeah. Does not sound like the, maybe fix your shit at home. Right. You know, take care of yourself before you go try and influence others. <laughs> and that's a lesson everyone can take home yeah. today for Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> fix yourself. <laughs> On top of the natives and the environment, the English were also fighting amongst themselves, of course. Classic. The council's first president was quickly overthrown for being stingy with supplies and hoarding food. His successor was exposed as an imposter hiding behind an alias, and the guy who blew the whistle on him was sentenced to death for treason. (laughs) What a mess. As Tony writes, he was, quote, the first of many who would be shot, burned, or tortured at Jamestown. Part of the problem here was some of the colonists, like George Percy, were lords back in England, and they expected the same level of deference and preference that they got at home. Right? They're like, but, but by Jove, nobody wants to work anymore. <laughs> right? But there's, there's nothing to eat. The water is slimy. But, but is it too much to ask to get some service with a smile? Hello. You look like you're dying like a dog. But do you mind <laughs> polishing my shoes? Exactly. Yes. So most of the other colonists, besides these rich folks, were debtors or drunken sailors and soldiers or convicts released from prison or laborers who'd been pressed at ports or on the London streets. Tony said, quote, this mob would have been hard for anyone to motivate and control. And the gentry appointed to do so were spectacularly ill suited to the task. So within four months of the colony's founding, Over half of the original settlers were dead. The remaining settlers were starved and sick. They were utterly defenseless. And if he had wanted to, Powhatan could have annihilated the entire colony then and there. I mean, they had nothing going for them. They could have gone in, mowed them down quickly, and dipped out. And maybe never heard from them again. I don't know. Uh History would be very different if they had. Right. Because instead, they showed up with a bunch of food. Wow. And we'll find out what the hell that's all about after this commercial break. Yeah. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Today I'm 
going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. And welcome back to the show, turkeys. <laughs> Historians have wondered for centuries why the natives chose to save the colonists. <laughs> A question that, in retrospect, is even more burning. Yeah, right? (laughs) So they're kind of like, maybe, you know, maybe the natives thought the colonists were more valuable alive than dead. Because while they were there, English ships showed up with all kinds of cool stuff like copper kettles and Mm -hmm. axes and weapons. Nintendo switches. That they were kind of like, oh, I'm interested in this good. I would like to be able to trade for it. Mm -hmm. Um. They may have also kind of been like, oh, these colonists have cannons and muskets and all these big weapons that they didn't have. And they were like, if we can align with them, we can use their weapons against other tribes and we'll have, you know, this backup. Um, Maybe they just felt bad because they were watching a bunch of stupid babies flail around who were (laughs) not able to feed themselves and were drinking shitty water. (laughs) So they were maybe like, look at these dumbasses. Like, we could suppress them so easily if they get out of hand later. Right, right. You know. Let's help them now and they'll, you know, they'll be forever thankful. Yeah, maybe. They'll probably have a whole day about how thankful they are (laughs) for everything we gave them. And they'll be really nice to us forever. That's. That's it. (laughs) That's what happened. Whatever the reason was, they brought, as recorded by George Percy, quote, bread, corn, fish, and flesh in great plenty, which was the setting up of our feeble men. Otherwise, we had all perished. I mean, so right there, he's admitting that without them, they would all have died. Yeah, we were feeble. Mm -hmm. We sucked. Thank goodness they showed up with a bunch of food. And they were probably like, mommy. 
Yay! <laughs> <laughs> like a bunch of birds, like, oh, ah! We're, we're forever in your debt, and we will be eternally thankful and have a whole day about how <laughs> You know how we do. So, refreshed, the colonists were all looking around like, hey, uh, who, who's still alive around here? <laughs> Can I get a roll call? All right. <laughs> and amongst the leaders who were still around was John Smith. And he was put in charge of resupplying the fort. And he immediately set off through the Chesapeake waterways to get some trading going with the native tribes. Over the next two years, he would explore eastern Virginia, Maryland, and possibly even Delaware, creating a map that was useful to explorers for over a century. Now, in 1585, when the Roanoke colony was established, they had settled among some relatively small tribes and they were peacefully accepted. But this time, the Jamestown colonists had placed themselves like smack in the middle of the most powerful and populous society on the eastern seaboard. Whoops. Powhatan's capital was only 12 miles from Jamestown. Wow. Uh, Like we mentioned, he collected tributes from dozens of tribes and over 15,000 natives. It's kind of like the colonial equivalent of planting a flag in the middle of Manhattan and being like, now give me all your food. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And the natives were like, "Uh, no, bro, like I'm walking here. (laughs) Get get out of the way. I'm I'm living here. (laughs) I've already been settled here for centuries. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So John Smith had to be pretty canny to get what the colonists needed. Mm -hmm. When he approached a tribe asking to trade, he wrote that they offered only, quote, small handfuls of beans or wheat for a hatchet or a piece of copper because they were pretty sure the colonists were starving and desperate. Right. Which, of course, they were. (laughs) (laughs) So the exchange rate was real out of whack. It was very weighed in the natives' favor. (laughs) I'll give you three ships and 30 men for, uh, you know, a couple of apples. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, right. And so... John Smith, of course, knew that this is not a great place to start negotiations, Mm -hmm. to show up, you know, like, I'll take whatever you'll give me. Right, right. So he would scorn their initial offer, and he would anchor nearby, and then run his boat on shore, shoot off some muskets, and march on the village. Unbelievable. Very rarely got to actual combat. Right. uh, Or, like, warfare, you wouldn't call it. But he was definitely, like, Whoa! Like, you know, he was kind of trying to be like a bear and show him that yeah. he was big and powerful and wow, scary. That's like going to Target and being like, oh, PS5 is how much? And then going outside <laughs> and shooting your gun in the air and be like, now how much is it? <laughs> and the poor seasonal employee at Target is like, it's the same, sir. Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't set the prices, sir. But yeah, after John Smith would kind of try this gunboat diplomacy, it usually worked. The natives would offer venison and corn at favorable rates of exchange. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Virginia Company had been pretty clear to, quote, have great care not to offend the naturals. Right. But John Smith kind of scoffed about these what he called tender educats (laughs) trying to tell him what to do from 3,700 miles away. You know, Americans hate England telling them what to do once we we're here. We also hate educated people like us. We're just like, <laughs> sure. I'm so sick of these book learners <laughs> telling me what to do. Right. <laughs> now, Tony writes that that's kind of a bunch of bullshit because John Smith himself was very well read and admired Machiavelli. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't about like boots on the ground decision making. It was more that he felt that if they were being too soft on the natives, they would seem weak and easy to defeat. 
but the colonists were weak and easy to defeat, <laughs> and he had to somehow kind of prove that they weren't. So he reached into his soldier of fortune bag of tricks to make himself look stronger than he was. Tony writes, quote, he fired his boat cannon into a tree full of icicles to magnify the shot's impact. He used rivers and encircling woods to create terrifying echoes. And he stuck soldiers' helmets atop sticks to make us seem many. He also reprised his gladiatorial skills, besting several chiefs in solo combat. So he's using everything he'd learned over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, he's pulling out all the stops, I saying love I'm these. going full John Smith to make <laughs> them, you know, to make us seem like a bunch of badasses, despite the fact that I'm probably the only badass here. Right. <laughs> Everyone else is the soft lord uh-huh. wishing for a butter dish or I, something. I imagine like the, the training montage of him trying to get them to march in time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All these soft, rich folks uh-huh, starving. Like, Ugh, marching. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I also love that he used so many like stage magic theater yeah, tricks right? to be like, <laughs> Alpha, fire the shot here because then the echo will make it seem like many shots were uh-huh. fired. Like that's such a theater thing to do and I love it. Like he was really a theatrical guy. <laughs> right, right. He's like, watch, I can remove my own thumb. <laughs> And they're all like, whoa, this Got guy's your nose. hard as nails. <laughs> he took my nose. <laughs> no, the, the native people were not stupid. No, um, no, I don't. He mean, was just yeah. a, he, yeah, no, he was just a showman. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he knew how to. Yeah, how to make it work. Yeah, make it how to seem. make it work. Mm-hmm. I have wonder, I mean, I know this is, comes from Tony's book, but I have wonder which tactics worked and which didn't. Yeah. Like, were the natives like, yeah, we know what an echo sounds like. Okay. We've been running these rivers yeah. for a long time. We know what it sounds like when somebody's over there and there's only one yeah. of them. We also use echoes. <laughs> yeah. You're not special. But, you know, speculation station. Right. But the thing is, John was also very shrewd. He traded strategically. He spread goods among villages to stoke demand without dampening prices. And he was also a skilled linguist from all of his travels. So he started to compile an Algonquin dictionary, including enduring words we still hear today, mm-hmm. like moccasin and tomahawk, and a term for friend, chame, which may be the source of the word chum. So Yeah, which is cute, because I just imagine like the English start using the word chum. Right. And, and it's like, for them, it's like, oh, this fun native word. Ooh, uh-huh, right, chum. right. Is that a chum? Like, <laughs> chum, where did you get that word? Mm. Oh, well, I stole it from the natives, just like <laughs> everything else I have here. <laughs> oh, jolly good. I think I'll steal it, too. Uh, what else can we steal? <laughs> Nothing. We've got it all. <laughs> yeah. I also wonder if Speculation Station, if this is how he got him himself on that list of leaders. Like if he went to the oh, Virginia company, yeah, he's yeah. like, so I see your list of leaders. They all look great. Anyway, do any of them speak another language? <laughs> and oh, they were sure, all like, yeah. another language? Is there another language? Hey, Steve, is there another language besides English? I... <laughs> oh, apparently there is. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he convinced them by blowing up some icicles and he was like oh do you have any do you got room for another leader on there how about now <laughs> and they were like whoa get him on this. illusions <laughs> in late 1607 john smith was captured by opachankana powhatan's brother who was a warrior who would not once but twice strategically outthink the english and defeat them in battles in the years to come mm. But right now, though, Powhatan had just sent him to grab John Smith and bring him over for a little talk. Uh huh. Threw him in the back of a van. Yeah. <laughs> <They> <laughs> Put a hood over his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. According to Smith's account, he dazzled Opechankana with a compass, quote, 
whereat he was so amazedly admired, as he suffered me to proceed in a discourse of the roundness of the earth, the course of the sun, moon, stars, and planets. Which is so funny to think of John Smith having like an astronomy lesson. Right, right. Opachankina. <laughs> like maybe in the back of that They're van. They're in the back of the van, yeah. He's got a little model out. And he's like, he's actually, like, this is Saturn. around here. <laughs> Then John was taken on a tour of Indian villages, and according to the Mataponis, this was to demonstrate to each tribe that the English were as human as they were, because they did not know that. Oh, okay. They, they really were not sure what was going on with these right, guys. Right, right. Very, and, very different looking creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is funny because, you know, it seems that the English knew, of course, that the natives were human, just right. didn't see them on the same level as humans. Right. And I wonder if that's the same thing going on here, where yeah. they're like, they're hu- might be they're humanoid, but they might be aliens. Like, yeah. who knows where these guys came from? Right. And then they're just showing them their blood and flesh, just like you and yeah. me. Yeah. Watch when I kick him in the nuts, he falls over <laughs> just like anyone else. I wish they that would be amazing. It's like, watch this, everyone. <laughs> that would be incredible. Uh, like they took him to every Indian village and just kicked him kicked in the balls <laughs> to prove he was human. And then he was like, I'm gonna write that you guys tried to kill me. <laughs> And then they finally brought him before Powhatan, who was around 60 years old at this time. Mm. And Smith describes him as, quote, grave and majestical, wearing chains of great pearls about his neck. Cool. And seated on an elaborate dais surrounded by wives and retainers. So they really pulled out all the stops to show their wealth and elegance and mm-hmm. power to this mm-hmm. guest. And in Smith's first account of the meeting, published in 1608, he wrote that Powhatan welcomed him with good words and platters of food. So it just seems like a lovely little time together that they had. Yeah. It wasn't until 17 years later that John Smith would write the story about Pocahontas saving him from execution that so many of us are familiar with today. Um, He said at that time that they brought two huge stones and they placed his head on one stone and then lifted the other to bash his brains out with it. And that's when Pocahontas ran in and placed her head on top of his to prevent them from hitting him with with rocks. <laughs> right. But according to the Mattaponi oral history, if Powhatan had intended to kill John Smith, there's no way Pocahontas would have been present to save him. As an 11-year-old girl, she was still a child, and children weren't allowed at certain ceremonies and religious rituals. But they also say that Powhatan never did intend to kill John Smith at all. Instead, he was welcoming him as a chief, or a werewance, of the English tribe, essentially making the English part of the existing Powhatan nation. Mm-hmm. Like, now you guys are another tribe here. Cool. Yep. You're welcome to stay. You got to operate just like all the other tribes do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great that you have shit that you're bringing from home. <laughs> but uh, we got a system in place here. Yeah. He told John Smith that in return for, quote, two great guns and a grindstone, Powhatan would forever esteem him as his son, Nantaquod. He also gave the English a better spot for their settlement on the York River. <laughs> like he's mm-hmm. he's like, hey, uh, couldn't help but notice that you guys put your fort in a swamp full of disease <laughs> and most of you died. So uh, I, I can't have a son of mine looking stupid. Mm-hmm. So how about a how about a change location? You all feel OK with that? What if I just show you? Let me just escort you just, a few feet this way. And See, look here. This one won't kill you. Much nicer. Yes. But Encyclopedia Virginia says that John refused because he was loyal to King James, and therefore he couldn't also be a subject of Powhatan's. 
Mm-hmm. So communication started to break down almost immediately. Powhatan saw the English as his subjects as long as they were in his country, which, you know, makes sense. I get it. I get it. But John Smith saw Powhatan as a subject of King James, which makes How less so? sense. <laughs> this one, I'm not <laughs> connecting the dots. I mean, again, just imagine today flying to France, landing on the coast and saying, all right, uh, you're all Americans now. Uh, I mean, yeah. Like you're... you would get laughed yeah. off the face of the continent. Insane. It's it's very weird. And, it you know, you have to think that John Smith and his contemporaries really believed that the king was selected by God. Right. I'm, I'm I guess. And yeah. so they were like, well, he's d- the divine ruler. So you might think that you're the king of whatever, whatever. But as soon as King James decided that this was going to be an English colony, mm-hmm. that's when you are now his subject, which is, again, just so weird yeah. to just bend over. Ba- Especially when you already got trade with so many other nations that yeah. you're not, they're not subjects of King James. Yeah. So how come they, they are? And they're like, I'm sorry, you said God singular? Uh, yeah, right. Well, what are you talking about? <laughs> but Pocahontas and John Smith did hang out together while John was... Either being hosted by or held hostage by Powhatan, depending on how you see things. (laughs) Uh, Camilla Townsend, author of Pocahontas and the Powhatan Dilemma and a history professor at Rutgers, told Smithsonian Magazine that in John Smith's surviving notes, there are sentences like, Tell Pocahontas to bring me three baskets. Or, Pocahontas has many white beads. So she was kind of like, this is this kind of woke up her imagination a lot to read that because she's like, clearly they were sitting next to each other side by side trying to learn each other's language. Mm-hmm. Like he would write a sentence in English and then she would repeat it in Algonquin for him. Right. And that's probably how he managed to compile his dictionary. That's how she started learning English to sort of, she kind of was serving as an interpreter later on in life. Uh-huh. And it represents how much the natives were trying to assimilate the English into their nation. Right. You know, they're like, we'll learn your language, you'll learn our language, it's going to be great. Right. Once John Smith was accepted by the tribe, they established kind of a study abroad type program where English guys would join the tribes to learn their ways and vice versa. The natives would send men to join the English and learn right. their ways. And so they would kind of have an exchange of information. Uh-huh. <laughs> I say study abroad, but it was like a few miles upriver. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, go a few hundred feet I west. Mean, that's abroad. <laughs> It felt abroad. I'm sure they were like, it feels like a whole other Yeah, right. It. Probably took them as long to get there as it takes us to fly to Europe, right? That's true. They, they did have to walk, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Pocahontas and John Smith were certainly friendly. They definitely knew each other. But no contemporaneous sources talk about a romance because, again, Pocahontas was just a child. She's 10 or 11 at this time. The first claim of romantic involvement actually was written by a guy named John Davis in 1803, so nearly 200 years later. Jeez. That, so nobody around this time was at making up this story yeah, about this. John Smith this, included. Yeah, beautiful, busty princess or whatever. Right, right. And it's like 200 years plus after that before we're getting around to debunking it here. So uh, <laughs> let's take a quick commercial break, and we will be back in less than 200 years. Whew, thank God. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Welcome back, gourds and pies. <laughs> so around this point, thanks to death and deposement, John Smith had risen to become the president of the council. Right away, he got strict with the listless colonists, declaring, quote, He that will not work shall not eat. For the labors of 30 or 40 honest and industrious men shall not be consumed to maintain 150 idle loiterers. So he's basically <laughs> saying, from each, according to their abilities, huh. contribute, mm -hmm. and to each you will get what you need according to your needs. Ooh. In some ways, everybody works. No Everybody one sits eats. around. Everybody eats. Yeah. Oh, that sounds all right. Yeah. Um, but remember, he's trying to whip up these lazy rich guys and get them to finally contribute to the colony, which, of course, not all of them liked. They were like, "We're <laughs> as one of the 150 idle loiterers, <laughs> I'm fine with what we've been doing. <laughs> now, everything's working out great, <laughs> except for how many people keep dying. <laughs> and no one will clean up their bodies either. <laughs> George Percy, for example, said Smith was, quote, an ambitious, unworthy, and vainglorious fellow, attempting <laughs> to take all men's authorities away from them. Ugh, uh, George Percy. Probably, I, I listened to a couple of recordings from the time. <laughs> that <laughs> no. is a spot-on impression. That's what he sounded I'll like. say yes. <laughs> um, but under John Smith, the fort prospered. Colonists performed military drills, they built houses, and dug a well of, quote, excellent sweet water. 
finally, instead of drinking out of the river, they were like, what if we freaking built a well? (laughs) And as Tony writes in A Voyage Long and Strange, quote, what made Smith exceptional was his recognition that survival in America meant learning to live as Americans. That's when he started to disperse settlers among tribes to learn their ways. And they also were guided by Indian prisoners on how to order and plant their fields and clear land, which natives did by cutting notches into tree trunks and stripping the bark, which caused the trees to rot. And then they could just push them over and haul them away. I love it because you, I mean, you can't imagine maybe the English colonists like hacking away with an axe. Right. And the natives being like, you know that they'll just rot on their own, right? Like, (laughs) yeah. Why are you doing so much work? (laughs) Takes a little longer, but you know, there's there's, right there. English hated waiting for shit. Yeah. Well, and the natives were way more patient in their processes. More more natural, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they also didn't build houses the same way or anything like that. So, you know, they needed trees for different reasons. Right. But still, it was a good thing to learn. (laughs) And yeah, John Smith also decided to stop caring so much about finding gold and other like mineral wealth, which had been the main motivation for settling America. Yeah. Um, Tony writes, quote, America's true promise, he believed, lay in its soil, timber, fish, game and other resources. And tapping this wealth required patient and humble labor. But unfortunately, the Virginia Company was still obsessed with gold. So they were just sending metal refiners and like perfumers to the port. <laughs> like a perfumer got to the Thanks. got to <laughs> a perfumer showed up to Jamestown and was like, well, it does smell bad here. But otherwise, <laughs> I don't see what the use is of me <laughs> and my skills. What's your trade, sir? Well, I make wonderful smelling lavender perfume. And he's like, cool. Great. I need you to go cut down these trees. (laughs) (laughs) You're useless. Uh, I guess you can collect all these bodies up. That'll make it smell better around here. That's sort of an ancillary skill. (laughs) At one point, Smith actually wrote to the Virginia company that they could send him a hundred of those guys if they would just also, quote, send but 30 carpenters, husbandmen, (laughs) gardeners, fishermen, blacksmiths, masons, and diggers up of trees. Uh (laughs) Yeah, just God. Yeah, I don't care. Send me all the perfume guys you want. Just for the love of God, can I have someone who can pick up an yeah. axe or <laughs> a shovel? Give me one person who knows how to work with a damn hand. Can, can, just someone who knows how to build a fire, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who can pick up a knife mm-hmm. and cut a piece of meat without chopping their fingers off because these people. And Smith, John Smith also thought it was a great thing to inherit wealth and honor. But he wrote, quote, that which is got by prowess and magnanimity is the truest luster. Yeah, well. During his one-year tenure, almost no Englishman died, which was an unprecedented success at this point. And that wasn't just because of John Smith, though. Um, it was also because Powhatan made sure to send the settlers food in the winter of 1607 to 1608. Wow. This was partly because... You know, he considered them one of his tribes. So he's like, let me help you out. I see you're struggling. Right. Um, But also because the English promised to provide metal tools and weapons in exchange for their gifts of food. This is really important to understand. The the native culture at the time, and maybe today too, I don't know, but Powhatan culture was very much based on gifts. There mm. were certain gifts you got that had certain messages attached to them. Gotcha. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you got sure. a certain thing. It was actually like shape up or ship out. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, it wasn't just like take this and go. Yeah. And then also if you were given a gift, it was really important to reciprocate with another gift. Otherwise, right. like you're being a real asshole. Right. So not like me. 
Right. And how I do birthdays, because what? Right. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't get me stuff, guys. I I, I never remember. <laughs> Please don't. Um, and also, yeah, if they didn't get the gift that they were promised in return, they would just go take it because to them it already was owed. Ah. Do you understand that? Yeah. So anyway, that's really important to understand. It's something the colonists did not understand. Right. And it was part of the big problem. But gifts, the gift exchange was very serious and had a lot of meaning attached to it. Mm-hmm. And the English had promised to give these things in exchange for the food. So Powhatan's like, great, I'll send food. This is all going to work out wonderfully. And these food gifts were often brought by a number of tribesmen accompanied by Pocahontas because oh. she was like a symbol of peace to the English. Okay. If she was there, everything was dope. Right. And the settlers wrote about her, describing her as a naked child doing cartwheels around the fort with the other young English boys, you know, the other children. Right. Um, so, again, they're talking about a child. No one right. in the time period was thinking about no sexy stuff with Pocahontas. Right. Another time, Pocahontas was sent with envoys to negotiate the release of Indian prisoners. So the English knew her. And thanks to the tight security that always traveled with her, they knew that she was very important to Powhatan. Mm. And they certainly took note of that. Yeah. But through 1608, things began to sour between the Powhatan tribes and the English. There had been two years of drought, so the natives didn't have a lot of extra food to spare. But the English would ceaselessly demand more and more, seeming not to care if the natives were left with nothing as long as the English needs were met. They also reneged on promises to send metal tools in exchange for the gifts of food already given. And so the natives were just taking them through theft instead because, again, they were like, these are owed to us. You said we could have them, so we're just going to come get them. Yeah, to to them... That already belonged to them. Right. So it wasn't theft, but to the English, it was theft. Right. So Powhatan decided to stop trading with the English, and he told his tribes to go ahead and attack them whenever they wanted. Mm-hmm. John Smith paid an uninvited visit to Werewakomoko to talk it out. Powhatan scolded him for how the English had been acting and expressed a desire for peace. According to John Smith, when negotiations between them broke down, Powhatan excused himself from the meeting, which was assigned to his warriors to execute John. But Pocahontas warned him about her father's plan to kill him, thereby saving his life. But again, this account differs from the Mattaponi oral history, which says there was no plot to kill John Smith at all. And if there was, Pocahontas would not have been able to give any kind of warning to the English at all because she was still just a kid. She was very carefully supervised. Mm -hmm. In 1609, Powhatan moved his capital further away from Jamestown and forbade Pocahontas from visiting anymore, marking the beginning of the first Anglo-Powhatan War. And despite his successes as a leader, the rich guys John Smith was putting to work were plotting against him. Oh, jeez. Tony writes that in 1609, they engineered Smith's removal as leader and maybe even tried to assassinate him. During one of his many river trips, Smith was asleep in his boat when his gunpowder bag, quote unquote, accidentally ignited, which, quote, tore his flesh from his body and thighs nine or ten inches square in a most pitiful manner. Wow. That sounds horrible. Yeah. He was unable to stand and near bereft of his senses, according to colonial accounts. Damn. And a ship was about to depart for England, so John Smith got on it, sailed home, and never saw Jamestown again. And Powhatan was told that John Smith died on the voyage home. Mm. But he didn't really believe that story because, you know, it wasn't the first lie he had heard from from the white man. Right. (laughs) 
So he kind of, uh, he put a pin in that for later. Yeah, because Powhatan, for all their differences, I think he kind of had like a respect for John Smith and he He appreciated the way that he was doing things. Mm -hmm. And then this shift in leadership was going to create a real problem for the relative peace between the Powhatan tribes and the English settlers. Powhatan mistakenly thought that making a deal with John Smith amounted to making a deal with the English. But the English, of course, they didn't see it that way. Now George Percy became the new leader of Jamestown. It's no. like, it's time for me to take over and finally get something done around here. <laughs> uh, no more working in the field for us rich folks. Someone run me a bath. <laughs> I'm in charge now. I'd like a bath, please. Someone get that lavender perfumer over here. <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> more perfumers. That's what we need. <laughs> Stop sending all these laborers and Ooh. tradesmen. So, of course, unlike John Smith, George Percy was not willing to work with the Indians. He wanted to subjugate them. So they ramped up their campaign of terror and they burned villages. They were looting tombs of dead kings. They cut off heads and limbs and forced tribes to hand over their food. Tony writes, quote, Smith, for all his harshness, knew that such tactics would invite retribution. And sure enough, natives responded by massacring trade parties, in one case, stuffing the mouths of English corpses with food as a warning to any others who should come to seek for bread and relief among them. I mean, they were like, we would rather put this in your corpse's mouth uh-huh. to keep you away from us than to eat it ourselves. Or, or oh, you want food? Mm-hmm. Fine. Here's what you get when you come take a bite of our food. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, brutal, but... Uh... You know, it did start who started it? it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who started it? George Percy also neglected to store grain. <laughs> he let fishing nets rot. God. He pissed off the natives so much that they killed hundreds of hogs that John Smith had bred as a reserve food supply. Wow. So thanks to George's shitty leadership and assholery to the Powhatan nation, the English found themselves at the end of 1609, right back where they started two years before. Starving, sick, huddled within their wretched fort, Except now, there were five times as many settlers that needed feeding. Unbelievable. This would begin a long winter known as the Starving Time. A voyage long and strange describes their terrible situation. Quote, When rations ran out, colonists ate horses, dogs, cats, rats, and mice. They ate shoes, cooked starch from their collars into a gluey porridge, and devoured excrement. When nothing else remained, they ate each other. Oh, my God. Some simply disinterred already dead corpses for, for dinner, which I guess is the best way, uh, quote unquote, well, to suppose, do that. Yeah. But one guy killed his pregnant wife, oh chopped God. her up into pieces, and salted her for food. What? Are we going to do their story? I know, <laughs> right? I was like, what's his name? Give me the names. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it's a short, sad episode. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so consider this a bonus non-romance uh, for this Oof, poor lady who God. got knocked up by some dude and then he decided to eat her. And George Percy extracted his confession by hanging him from his thumbs and then ordered his execution. Might be the only good thing that George Percy did. Wow. When John Smith left to sail back to England in the autumn of 1609, he left 500 colonists behind. By the following May of 1610, under George Percy's leadership, only 60 were still alive. That's like 10%. That's like 90% of them died. He, I mean, would you not... 
at some point in the course of your leadership, be like, yeah. maybe I'm fucking up. Like, is there no sense of like, I don't, I don't he's understand like, George Percy. I just don't get it. He's an idiot. He's like, we're all <laughs> dying. Maybe more perfume. I know. <laughs> I know. Someone draw me a bath. That'll help. <laughs> now, a delayed supply ship, which had been shipwrecked in Bermuda for 10 months, which, by the way, was an event that inspired Shakespeare to write The Tempest. Yes, by the way, Shakespeare and Pocahontas lived at the same time. That I mean, right? I mean, yes, obviously because of numbers and years, but <laughs> I did. I never connected those two in my no, head. No, I know, knew me neither. Uh, so finally, this ship had been shipwrecked, uh, but they finally arrived and found the Jamestown colonists so starved and crazed that it seemed like the colony wasn't even worth staying in. And on June seventh of sixteen ten, the incoming governor ordered an evacuation, and everyone got on the boats to leave. But just then, another supply ship arrived carrying 150 fresh new settlers and a year's supply of provisions. Quote, whereupon, Percy wrote, we all returned to Jamestown again. I love the idea Take of them all, them all boarding the ship, maybe even like they're weighing anchor. Right, you know what yeah. I mean? They're about to head out and they're like, oh, oh, hey, guys. Oh, uh, well, shit. Um, How about- uh, I guess just uh, grab your trunks, everyone. Oh, wait, we don't have anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I mean, how about these 150 settlers who showed up who were like, the new world, so full of promise. And they get there and there's these starving, 60. dying people, 60 of them left, trying to leave. And they're like, oh, never mind. You're here. Cool. We'll just stick it out. I know. The I'd be like, no, no, leaving sounds good. <laughs> Let's turn around. Let's just turn around. Also, like, all right. Like, when I hear a delayed supply ship was shipwrecked in Bermuda for 10 months, I'm thinking, all right. Yeah, they found Bermuda and they were like, ooh. Let's stay here a while. <laughs> crystal clear water, sunny beaches. They got something called rum. <laughs> got coconuts. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me send a letter. Ooh, bad shipwreck. Can't make it. Gonna be a little late. <laughs> and after three months, they're like, do you think we should probably get going? Eh, they're probably fine. Yeah. They took George a ten- Percy's there. Yeah, he's George great. Percy. He's I very knew him. rich. He was a great dancer. I'm sure he's going to be doing a great job. <laughs> So that is the true story of Pocahontas and John Smith, and truly the most ridiculous romance we've covered so far because it wasn't even real, and it would have been really (laughs) gross if it was. True. (laughs) But we are far from finished with Pocahontas. Yes. In 1610, you know, she's just coming to age. She had two great romances to come, one with a Padawomac tribal warrior named Kokuum, and another with the Englishman John Rolfe. But we will save that story for part two. That's right. So go uh, eat your big dinners. Mm-hmm. Think think about what you've done, America. <laughs> <laughs> think about what you've done. And uh, and and then we'll we'll hear the second half of this. Uh, I, it it really is amazing to have learned the real story. I mean, you know, obviously, I knew I, even when I saw it that the Disney movie was nonsense. Not, not true, right? I mean, yeah. totally fictionalized. Mm-hmm. I I hope. Everyone knows that. <laughs> but the main thing that I, I just was thinking today was like when I was a kid and I saw the Pocahontas movie, that was a 33-year-old woman. You know oh what I God, mean? Seriously? Like Pocahontas was a full-grown, fully developed, mm-hmm. very huge, powerful, dominant, amazing woman. Yeah. And she was this like 12-year-old girl. Yeah. Also amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it, it just... That alone is such a disconnect from reality. 
I'm like, why did you even choose this story, guys? Come on, that's the real thing up front. Like, if you have to change it that much, just go, just find something else. I know it's it's interesting too with uh, with you know the native side of of. I guess the native perspective of the story right. is, you know, Pocahontas is not a very popular character right. among natives because of the way her story has been told so much that just like us, many of them grew up thinking she preferred a bunch of white people to right. them. And, right. you know, now we're finally getting around to being like, actually, that was a fucking bunch of bullshit. Right. But also when the movie came out, it was seen it was very popular and it was seen as such a great step forward because she was the first indigenous princess. Oh, sure. Princess. Yeah. It was like the first fully indigenous, you know, people on screen that you right. were seeing. And right. they did draw them well and stuff like that. But like it is so weird to just I mean, you know, Dis- Disney's not history. They they shouldn't right. have you shouldn't, you know, hold them to academic standards or right, something. Right. But it did manage their movie did manage to really like perpetuate pretty harmful myth. Oh yeah. And I mean, beyond that, it's a very self aggrandizing version of the story where it's kind of like, well, mostly it was just a misunderstanding <laughs> and the English and the natives were all you know, they just if it weren't for that bad guy, mm-hmm. they would have gotten along the whole time and everything would have been fine. And at the end of the day, we all held hands and we're happy mm-hmm. and we have a straight to video sequel. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it, it's just this very falsified account of even even John Smith. I, I don't remember the movie super well, but I'm like this version of the story. I'm like, OK, John Smith was like he got shit done. Mm-hmm. He knew he knew how to strategize. Mm-hmm. And while he shouldn't have been there in the first place <laughs> declaring the land for his own right. and these people being subjects of the king. At least his strategy wasn't, well, I'll just kill you until you join me. Yeah. It, maybe I'll scare you until you make your shit cheaper, mm-hmm. but not necessarily, uh, you know, genocide was not. So no. He didn't think that was a smart tactic. No. Yeah. But I then, think he was. Of course, that was basically, you know, his relative kindness and i'm using enormous quotation marks here right uh was his sort of weakness to the other english right. people who thought well this guy's not willing to get his hands dirty so i will which is so crazy because it seems to me that the reason Powhatan and the other natives respected John Smith uh-huh. was that he used very similar methods that they did right. where they'd be like i mean again just Going back to the very, very beginning of the episode, we talked about how Powhatan got all these tribes to become part of this one nation. Yeah. It was partly force and partly diplomacy, right. which is exactly what John Smith was doing. He right. used a little bit of force to be like, OK, you respect me. I can hurt you. Right. Um, now we can we're equals in this conversation and we can have an equal exchange. But right. I'm not going to just come in and take all your shit. Right. That doesn't work for me, because if I did, who's saving us multiple times mm-hmm. <laughs> from our own folly? Yeah. Um, these guys that have the food and already know how to f- do all the agriculture. They already know how to live here. Why would you kill them all? Like they're the, they're going to be the only reason that you survive. So yep. it's just, you know, I feel like they were kind of like, oh, yeah, he shot his muskets and stuff. He had some, you know, he was like, hey, chief, you fight with me. And if I win, we'll we'll go forward with this deal. And if 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 I lose, I'll get the fuck out of here. And they were like, sure, I can. I like that. I'm with that. I can. Right. I can deal with that. And they were like, those tactics worked for me. Yep. And yeah, then Percy's like, well, just run them through with a sword. <laughs> yeah. And again, just to pop out of the clarity closet here. Um <laughs> 
that's not uh, to say John Smith was doing everything right. No, no. And a good guy. It was just like, you know, of of the many approaches that the English took, mm-hmm. um, his was at least, you know, somewhat sensible within the context of what they were doing, which was horrible. Yeah. And yeah. it's not to say that if he had stayed, he would have been awesome the whole time. Right. Would have right. changed his tactics once they got a little more comfortably established. Sure. Again, he was totally like, y'all are subjects of my king as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So he might have just come in colonizing spirit fully intact, you know, yeah. but was just like, I'm going to use you as long as I can. Yeah. I don't mean it or, to be like, he's a great guy. No, but... no, no. But it, or it may have been a situation where. It was like that subjugation you don't know is happening, kind of, mm-hmm. or that sort of like, I'm not going to come in and use my military force to destroy you, but I'm going to make it so that before you know it, yeah. you're dependent on me. On me. And yeah. therefore, now I now I do rule you, mm-hmm. you know, which is another tactic the English have employed many times. And even and the Americans. Americans. Look at, we in the last episode, we talked about the buffalo. Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, same same. Mm-hmm. Tactic They're there. Like, just take all their food and then they'll have to do whatever you say. Yeah. And then come in and say, well, all your food's gone. Sorry. So you better try and be friends with us. Mm-hmm. Well. And it's really hard to be our friends. <laughs> yeah. You sit at the cool table. You've got to try pretty hard. So, yes, Pocahontas and John Smith. Uh, uh, fascinating story. Yeah. Um, Far different than what we heard, than what was sang to us by Vanessa Williams. <laughs> you know, that music video is when I fell in love with Vanessa Williams. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, she was an early crush of mine. She's gorgeous. Yeah. I totally understand Absolutely. why. Absolutely. I wonder what she's up to. I know, right? Uh, she's just stunning. She had those really light blue eyes, right, or something? I don't know. She just had a really cool look. Oh, uh, she's she's beautiful. So uh, if you're Vanessa Williams uh, or anyone, you know, feel free to reach out. <laughs> We'd yeah. love to hear your thoughts. Always. Uh, or, or how Vanessa Williams is doing. Please shoot us an email. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get us at romance at iheartmedia.com. Or on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Dynamite Boom. And I'm at Oh Great, It's Eli. And the show is at Ridic Romance. Of course, we'd love to hear from you on Apple Podcasts. You can drop mm-hmm. a review um, or, uh, you know, hire a skywriter to <gasps> tell everyone in your neighborhood about our show. That sounds good, too. If you do that, please take a picture and tag us <laughs> in it so that we can be incredibly nerdily excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we will see you with part two of the Pocahontas story, Pocahontas and John Rolfe. Yes. Uh, uh, just after Thanksgiving. And we cannot wait. Enjoy your food and family and friendship and fellowship and all the other great things that this holiday brings. Yes. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.